Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. In fact, in John chapter 3, it even says that the wrath of God is abiding on you, that even now you're underneath the wrath of God. And it's hard for us to believe because we live in the land of paradise, palm trees and, and rainbows. It's hard for us. Now, maybe if I lived in the Middle East or in the deepest part of the jungle or if my house was blown away and I lost half my family in a tornado in the Midwest, I might then, well, okay, I, don't, I could see the wrath of God on me. But it's hard for us to see that right now. But I assure you on the authority of God's word, whatever we have right now, the wrath of God is on us. And the wrath of God for those that know Christ as Savior, you might be experiencing all this wonderful stuff right here, and you're going to live based on that instead of ever realizing that you still have heaven waiting for you if you trust Christ as Savior. So don't be lulled into this sense that everything is okay so far, like the man who jumped off the building, and as he headed to the ground, he was screaming on the fifth floor, still hadn't hit the ground, everything's okay so far, and it really isn't, and then it hits. So I pray that you understand we are still living under this revelation of his wrath today. So let's go back to the passage, and we're going to kind of go through it kind of verse by verse now. And you can take out your notes. If you miss any of the blanks, don't worry about it. I'll give it to you later. You can write me. I just want you to get the truth here. So the wrath of God, we talked a little bit about that. We talked about the two kinds of wrath. But now who is it displayed upon? It says is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. You can underline the word all in your Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, grab one out of the chair in front of you. There's some Bibles in the racks there. If not, get a Bible, bring a Bible, get a literal translation. I'm using the New American. It works for me. So underline the word all, but then you have the word ungodliness and unrighteousness. So I want to talk about those two words for a moment. All right. When you think in the, the word ungodliness, this is a person who believes that there really is no God. He, he lives his life that there is no God. I, I'm ungodly. There, I'm non-God. I could be anti-God, but the fact is there is no God. So he lives his life away from God. That would be ungodly. You're going to find the first section of the passage I cover today will be dealing with people who have a mindset that there is no God. And when I define that God, I'm refining, defining that God as capital G-O-D. There is no capital G-O-D. They might have a lot of small G-O-Ds, but no capital G-O-D in this thing. So in a sense, there, to them, there is no God. There might be a lot of gods, but not one big God, the real God, the only God. That's ungodly, as you see there. The second word is the word unrighteous. That deals with, I'm living my life without any rules. As if there is no God, therefore that there are no rules. Or I make up my own rules. Or I'll accept what rules I want to keep, which ones I don't. And if I don't like the rules, I'm going to do whatever, whatever I can to manipulate or intimidate the situation or the society to get the way that I want. Because I'll make up my own rules as I go along. That would be the unrighteous. Now, when you put those two terms together, the ungodly and the unrighteous, generally you'll find that an ungodly person lives believing there is no God will then live an, an unrighteous life without any real rules. So one kind of feeds the other. Now some of you are saying, boy, that is so cool. I'm glad I got here today. Well, I don't want to overload this thing because exegetically, I could still make the case that ungodliness and unrighteousness are so similar to one another that I don't want to really divide them too far apart and make such a big sermon on ungodly and unrighteous and divide it up. However, in this context, as we're going to learn today in the time that I have left, there is a difference, and so I want you to know there is an understanding of ungodliness and unrighteousness. And so we want to talk a little bit more about the man is, that man is guilty 
of ungodliness. So let's, let's talk about that for just a moment. Man is guilty of ungodliness. So if we go a little bit further in the passage, here's what you're going to find in verse 19. It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. Well, that's a very interesting phrase. Some translation says that he made it evident among them. I believe that the better translation is still that he made his, himself, God known, in them. And he does it often by what's done on the outside, revealing himself to him. So inside, I have a God consciousness. Write this reference down. You could look at it later. 1 John 1, 9 says that the light that's let every man, every man has the light of God within him. That means that every man has a God consciousness in him. That doesn't mean that he's saved or anything. That means that he is born with an awareness that there is a God. We're going to call that light because that's the context of John 1, that he has the light. All right. So that's in them. That's, that's already resident in every human being. Now, then what they see on the outside externally, it is revealed to them and it's now in them. Let me use this testimony. Helen Keller, if you remember Helen Keller, the Miracle Worker movie and all of that, Helen Keller was born blind, she couldn't speak, all right, she couldn't hear, and so she was completely sealed out from the world. She had someone who loved her enough to spend time with her, to begin to work with her, to break the communication barrier. When that barrier was then broken during the course of it being broken then, the conversation came up to Helen Keller about God. And so this person then realized that Helen Keller never knew anything about God, started to explain God to Helen Keller. Helen Keller, is, and I'm quoting now, her response was simply this. So that's who you call him. And what she then explained from that testimony was that she had an awareness of God without ever hearing, without ever seeing. There was something inside of her that was resident in her, that there's a God consciousness. Now, folks, this passage we're going through now will explain the question, what about all those foot-washing aborigines in the far jungle that never heard about God? Is God going to send them to hell? The answer is yes and no. It all depends on the light that God has already given to them. And then through the general revelation of creation, he's revealing himself to them so that they have an opportunity, watch this now, to go after that light. Who am I? Why am I here? How can I get to the next life? Where am I really going? When they begin to ask the right questions, then God will continue to reveal more and more. Now, again, I'm still believing that most of those people, if not all of them, are asking those questions in the jungle. The problem is Satan is there, and through God's creation, they begin now to worship the creatures, the created, rather than the creator. But those that get beyond all of that, God then reveals himself. You will find in today's passage, if I could use my arm right here to represent a flame, like on a Bunsen burner or something like that. You have this flame. As you now want to seek God, the flame gets turned up higher and higher and higher, and then God will reveal the truth. Now, let me give you this other truth to this. This is important. Nobody is in hell that's not supposed to be there. Nobody is in hell. Had they heard the gospel and would have trusted Christ as Savior, God would not send a person to hell because they just didn't hear the gospel. If God knew they trust Christ and he would, he would then bring them the message. Now, let me say, you're turning up the burner on your light that God's given you. It starts small, it grows as you seek that light. And God will reveal the truth to you. You still have that choice as God gives you to trust in Him. And God is bringing all of that to you, so the choice becomes pretty easy. However, if you 
are now hearing this about God, but you don't want this about God for X reasons, and we don't have time to go through all of those, but you are now not wanting to seek the truth light. What's happening then, you are being darkened, Scripture says in Romans chapter 1. So that's like turning the light down, 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 down. Now the question is, will it ever be extinguished? I believe that no, it is never extinguished, that there can come a time that you get so broken, so beat up, and you finally then cry out and say, Oh, God, save me. And he saves you. Do you need a person for me to give you as an illustration? I would like to think it would be the thief on the cross who did, lived his life so apart from God, but at the very end he cried unto Jesus and Jesus said, Today you'll see me in paradise. So the point still being is it can go all the way down. The question is the further down you get it, the harder it is to get it back up again because you now watch this. You're turned over to this lifestyle and it, become, it begins to to bring you to a succumbing to that. In other words, you just you get into that world and it's so hard to get out. It's like quicksand. You can get out, but it's a very rare situation that you can. All right, back to the passage. So ungodliness. So what can be known about God? It's obvious to them. So the first blank would be it is obvious. It is very obvious to them. And then it says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made by God, so that they are without excuse. What is so interesting is when I look at this that it's so very obvious, I'm reminded of uh, an article that was in the last uh, Friday's paper. How many of you saw last Friday's paper on the voyaging canoe, Hokulea? How many of you seen that big color picture on the front? I saw the picture and I looked at it and I thought, man, that's a cool picture. And go, guys, go, 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 you know? And so I put the paper down, did something else, and Carol picks up the paper and she then reads the article, you know? And so she said, you've got to read this. And so she read it to me. It was so fantastic. I even printed off a section of it today. And I want to read this to you because this is, again, in our life with our people groups, the Hawaiian people, on a voyaging canoe, and they are experiencing the revelation of God making himself evident. Now, what they do with it is up to them, but God's doing his part. And here's what it says right from the paper. It was written by Marcel Honoré. Not the whole article. You could relax, but this section. She writes, or he writes, One night several weeks ago, while I'm watch aboard the double-hulled voyaging canoe, Hokulea, navigator Kalape Bebeyan caught me not paying attention to the deck. Instead, my eyes were glued to the sky. But on a voyaging canoe, that's totally okay. In the remote Pacific, there are moments after the sun sets and before the moon rises where the clear night sky is impossibly full of stars, so many that they blend in the clouds, streaking across the heavens. You can't help but gape at what you're seeing above. Babayan, a navigator in residence, pointed to a patch of star clouds in between the Hokulea's two masts. There, he said, that's the center of the Milky Way galaxy. And then the writer goes on, even that one small glimpse of sky, there must have been millions of stars. Babayan just grinned as I tried to process it all. From an island canoe, floating in a vast ocean wilderness, we gazed up in silence, trying to understand the significance of this tiny, fragile planet. And as I look at that, I'll tell you the significance. It was God honoring His Word, revealing Himself to those people for that moment on that canoe, in some measure for them to turn up the light, to want to know more. And of course, it's way beyond us to know fully all of God just through a general revelation of some stars. So it's obvious, but let's go a little bit further. That passage that I just read for, it says, 
since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, and it goes on. That little phrase from the creation of the world, that means he is all along. It is worldwide. It is overwhelming. So in other words, it's not just once in a while God's going to peek out and reveal himself to us. It's like, watch this, it's going on all the time. If you want to see God's wonderful attributes revealed to you, go out in our parking lot, stare at the sun. That is part of his revelation to you. And of course, you'll go blind, so don't do that. If you want to, go out to our parking lot. Go by some of these trees over here. Kick up the dirt, kids. Look into the dirt, and you're going to see little bugs in there. And that's God revealing himself to you. God is not the sun. God is not the stars. God is not those bugs. Are not those bugs. But I'm telling you, what is revealed is what we're learning here in Scripture. And that's what's so beautiful. Let's look at it together. It's obvious it's worldwide, but look at how he, in, he reveals his invisible attributes. He says, his invisible attributes, that means the things about God that, that make God God, his attributes, they're invisible, but what are they? His eternal power and divine nature. Now, technically, in the Greek, those would be two parts of his, of his attributes, eternal power and divine nature. In your notes, I've given you three because I've chosen to divide it up a little bit for emphasis only, but there's really two there, so let's go back to the passage. Eternal power. Eternal means that he was around before anything that he's created. So before he revealed himself to man, there was nothing here. There was no man here. There was no need to reveal himself. That's theology. But he was still here. Some people have a hard time understanding us in eternity. I like to call it the eternality of God. He was around. I had a Bible teacher who was led to the Lord by the old Billy Sunday. And uh, he taught us this. He said, time... We live in time. God lives in eternity. Eternity. All right. He says, time is like an island in the sea of God's eternity. And God is eternal. Now, I said that to say this. In order for there to be a Disneyland, there had to be a Walt Disney. Do you agree with that? Go, uh uh-huh. Right, you have to. Before there's a Disneyland, there had to be a Walt Disney. Before a Legoland, there had to be a man with legs or something. I don't know what, whoever it was that did that. But, but... In order to have a Disneyland, you had to have a Walt Disney. But before you had a Walt Disney, you had to have a God who created all of that. So I wanted you to see that God had to start all of this. So there had to be someone from the very beginning. And this person from the very beginning had no beginning, but he was here before everything else was. That's the eternality of God. And that's what we begin to see in all of God's creation. Now, the next word is an interesting word. It says power. Because what good is it if God then can see man, but he doesn't have the power to create man. In other words, it all becomes in his mental drawing board. All of the worlds, all of the stars, everything that he wants to make, it's all up here, but he has no power to make it happen. It's like a Walt Disney again, having all the ideas of Disneyland and Disney World, but never having the ability, the power, the authority, or all this behind him to be able to make a Disneyland. And so we see the eternal power of God. Now, then it says his divine attributes. I'm going to give you a general way out here explanation, and I'm going to give you a more accurate or more um, concrete explanation from Scripture. The general would be this. In his divine nature, that means that while he, again, was before all things, he had the power to make all things, he didn't just make everything by throwing it out there in some big confusion. In other words, just throw it out there and let it bounce around until they find the right holes like a Chinese checkerboard. It was no, it was all completely organized by mathematics. Why do you think we can send uh, uh, spaceships up to the moon and trying to get to Mars? It's because it's all out there, all underneath God's divine nature, which is totally organized. 
That's why the spirit of confusion comes from Satan. It doesn't come from God because he is fully organized. Now stay with me on that. <clears throat> Let's go back to that illustration of the voyaging canoe, the hokalea. All right? When you really think about it, from our little stupid minds, we probably could say those folks that are on those two boats, I know there's one they're focused, but they've got a kind of another boat with them. But, but when they do that, we'd say, that is the dumbest thing we've ever heard. How can you get from here to Samoa or the people from Fiji or Tahiti and all of that, come all the way to Hawaii, and, and now they're going to take this voyaging canoe and they're going to go on a three-year world trip of expressing love and aloha to various countries. How can they do that without any human technological um, apparatus with which to do this like ships and, and airplanes do? It's because they're going back to the old ways of doing their navigation. They're going to the stars. They're going to be looking at the currents and how the things are floating in the water. The direction of the various fish when they go fishing. Which fish is where because they know all of this stuff. Yes, probably over thousands of years or at least hundreds of years. They made a lot of mistakes in finding this. But they finally got it all together because God is completely organized. So looking at the celestial, looking at the terrestrial, looking at what's happening. They're able to navigate primarily because God has everything so organized in a mathematical way that they can trust it in this fashion. That again is God revealing himself to people who perhaps don't have a Bible yet. That, again, is called general revelation. Now, let's go back to a specific when it says divine nature. What God is also doing through all of his creation now, he's revealing his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, every other part about the divine nature that makes God God. He's revealing that to us. So keep that in mind when we start thinking about uh, what he's doing for us here, revealing himself and how wonderful all of that is. So whether it's through a telescope or a microscope, what we want to know about God, we can know about it from his general revelation. Now let me give you one more thought about this and then I'll move on to my next uh, part of this verse. Listen carefully to this. I don't know how to clearly answer the question, well, what happens if all they see all of this, can they still be saved? My answer at this point in my journey of Scripture would be simply this. No, I don't think so. And the reason I say that, it says, because there's no other name among men, given among men whereby you can be saved except through Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You have to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. You have to believe who he is. Believe him. So, if anything, all that God's creation in general revelation, watch this now, watch this, it then should drive us through curiosity and passion to what we call specific revelation, which will be found in two entities. One is going to be in the living word, the Bible. The other is going to be in Christ. And the other is going to be in the written word, which would be the Bible. So you've got living word, Christ, written word, the Bible. So it drives us to say, wow, this is great. So what we can, be, what we can know of God completely and specifically and most accurately and fully is going to be found in Scripture. So that drives us to the word. Remember, it's the fool who said in his heart, there is no God. And that the heavens declare the glory of God. And we understand all of that through the written word of God. So we keep that in mind. Well, let's go a little bit further here. It's obvious, it's worldwide, it's overwhelming, but it's also indisputable. Let's go look to the last part of verse 20. It says, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through that what was made, so that they are without excuse. So what that's primarily saying is that there is no excuse for them not to 
at least believe that there is a God, that something had to be behind all of this and to want to seek a little bit more with that. And I, I hope that maybe you're now saying, I'd love to do it. I'd love to know more. Let me give you a little plug here. On Wednesday nights, the men are studying. There's not a large group of guys, but a committed group of guys are coming together underneath this umbrella of, of a men's study, and it's simply this, that they want to be strong in God's Word so they can properly lead their life, lifeguards, and their families, lifeguards of them. And so they're learning Scripture, but what they're learning about Scripture is the veracity of Scripture. And so we've been studying a great deal on creation and how God made the world and how that it all fits in, and it is scientifically proper to believe that, and we can accept that. Because we want people to know that as we're studying God, that there is a reason why we believe it. So we study the Word, and now we're going to do what God has to say. And last Wednesday night, we had a wonderful discussion on what's the value of having apologetics spoken to those who already know Christ as Savior. And talk to Scott and a bunch of the guys here, and they'll tell you the value that you get from just doing that, how blessed that is. So what man does when now he gets all of this revealed to him. Now, this is what you want to see because what does man do in a response? Most of us as Christians will say, wow, God made it. God made this. God Almighty made this. The eternal power and divine nature. God made this. But what does the world do? If you will, if you don't mind for just a moment, go back to verse 18. The first thing they do is they suppress it. They put it down. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Well, Maybe this will help you to understand what's, what's going on. Suppressing the truth is like holding the truth down. It would be like covering it up. I like the word cover up rather than hold down. Because I don't know that you can hold down truth because I think truth is so powerful that it will get out. It's like love. You can't throw rocks at love. God's love, agape love. It will get out. Truth. You cannot, you can maybe contain it for a while, but it, it, it'll, it'll come out. You can't kill truth. But you can cover up truth. And some of you are old enough to remember years ago what we call the Watergate. Remember the Watergate thing with Nixon? Now, we didn't understand the Watergate thing was kind of a bad thing that Nixon did. But you know what we really remember more than anything? It wasn't the Watergate of him breaking in and getting that information. You know what it really was? It was what? The covering it up. Do you remember that? Most of us know about Benghazi now. We're kind of hearing that a lot on the news. And I don't know how long this will be recorded and how many years from now you're going to listen to this tape. But... They, we know what's happened, and we know that's a bad thing that's happened, but you know what's got people so upset about? It's this perceived and real cover-up of not getting all the facts that are done. And so what happens now is that you can't stop the truth of God, but what's happening to these people, what are they doing with this revelation, is that they're covering it up. And they do it in so many different ways, through writings and all the rest. So they're trying to suppress, put down, cover up the truth. That's how man tries to uh, deal with the revelation. Of course, you and I know they can do all that they want, but they can never stop the truth. Um, when I speak publicly to a, a group that has mostly unsaved people in it, before I even get into my message, and generally it's going to have the gospel in there, the plan of salvation, I like to quickly throw out that I believe the Bible is God's mind on paper, historically, prophetically, scientifically. Watch this now. Longevity and saleability of the Bible is number four. And the reason I say that is because if this was not true, if they were able to truly extinguish truth, we wouldn't have the Bible today. It would be some archaic little historical book of some religious writings in some distant moldy library. 
But it's not. It is truth. And so it sells more books than any other books. It's translated, of all the things translated, the Bible has been translated in more languages because it is living, it's real. Those four, science, prophecy, history, and saleability, that's all objective reasons of why we know the Bible. The fifth is because it's worked in our own life. So while men will try to cover up the truth, they cannot fully cover it up nor extinguish it. Let's go to the second. What do they try to do? The third thing is they try, or the second thing they try to do is to ignore it or reject it. Let's go down to verse 21. It says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him or give Him the value or the glory that was due Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, underline that. That's the flame going down. All right? They're futile in their speculations. They try to speculate about how there is no God, but they're futile because they can't do it. All the atheists are dead, but there are still Christians that are alive today. And their foolish heart was darkened. But the point I wanted you to see, how do they do this? How do they ignore the truth? They do it by not honoring God or giving God His glory. They don't give God glory for who He is. Of course they don't. And they don't give thanks. They don't give glory and they don't give thanks to the Lord. Let me pause for a moment and uh, not park so much on the glory of the Lord. I think you get that. But when you say they don't thank God... I did a lot of thinking about thanking God for, for a while. And when, I, and when we're thankful, see if you agree with me. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.